I'm one of those cradle Catholics who fell out of the cradle sometime in the mid-1980s. I was baptized in the same church where my parents and grandparents were married, and even did a stint in Catholic school. But it took more than 30 years for me to figure out that my life's adventure was really part of a grand pilgrimage through the universe that ultimately led me back to RCIA and into the pews again. And it took a life-changing encounter with St. Kateri Tekakwitha's relics and the Mohawk community that has cared for them for more than three centuries to embrace the gift of being fully queer and fully Catholic at the same time. I first encountered Kateri's bones when I was in graduate school during a visit to her shrine at Gunawage, Mohawk Territory, on a crisp October day in 2017. I was working with the Cultural Tourism Working Group at Akwesasne, Mohawk Territory, and a group of us made the 90-minute drive to Gunawage to see how that community handled the luxury buses that regularly brought pilgrims and tourists to see Kateri's relics at the St. Francis Xavier Mission Church, a gray stone structure that was once part of a complex of buildings that housed the British government's colonial Indian agents and missionaries. We waited in the gift shop, browsing the melange of native crafts and Catholic sacramentals, while the parish priest finished a special mass for the tour group that had come to Ganawage from New York City. When the tour operator came in to pay the fee for the private mass, it signaled to us that the liturgy had ended and we could go in to see the marble sarcophagus that contained Kateri's bones. We entered the nave of the mission church, a throng of tourists taking selfies stood between us and Kateri's bones. Through the iPad screen of a selfie-taking tourist, we could see what appeared to be a bone on display atop the shrine. While Catholics the world over venerate saintly relics, followers of the traditional Iroquois longhouse religion show their respect for those who have walked on by keeping their distance from human remains. The sight of the bone, albeit through the glow of an LED screen, signaled to us to come no further. The experience raised all sorts of scholarly and ethical quandaries. Can sacred native space be a sort of Native Graves and Repatriation Act crime scene? I realized that the bones at once embodied and broken indigenous power and presence in their ancestral homelands, as well as the painful and divisive legacies of four centuries of Euro-American colonialism. Nevertheless, the bone's holiness flowed out of these seeming contradictions. What began as a scholarly investigation became a pilgrimage to find that faith that had eluded me for three decades. Indeed, our relationship with God grows out of seemingly irreconcilable contradictions. The Holy Spirit dwells within paradox. If we seek the embrace of a savior, who was fully human and fully divine, and we too can embrace ourselves as fully Catholic and fully queer children of God. Welcome to Tabard Inn, everybody.
story was by Vine and Fig community member Mike Mortimer. Welcome to Tabardin, y'all, a weekly podcast about the stories we tell and the events we discuss while on pilgrimage as queer Catholics. I'm Pat Gothman. I used to think that the crushes I had on guys was the Holy Spirit prompting me into discipleship with them because I had stuffed my sexuality way down deep in a giant black box that Catholics call shame. And I also made Jacob binge the new Amazon series Modern Love this week with me because I cried during every episode. He ugly cried. It's okay. I did. And I'm his fiance, Jacob Flores, a baby Catholic, Pope Francis fanboy, and I almost went to the Latin Mass this weekend on my own, but I checked it out. Uh oh, what did you check it out over? Why didn't you go? Because <laughs> I thought people would know that I was gay and maybe like <laughs> throw they, crucifixes they, at me. They may have a sixth sense in the Latin Mass. <laughs> I don't know. All right, so what do we have on the podcast today? Well, up first, we'll take a look at the Archdiocese of Indianapolis firing more Catholic school employees over gay issues, and then we'll take a look at new safe spaces being created for queer seniors to grow old, and then finally, we'll talk about the Amazon Synod wrapping up, and most importantly, Pope Francis calling for a poorer church. And then, as always, we'll wrap things up by toasting where we were most inspired this week, just like if we had made it back to the Tabard Inn at the end of our pilgrimage. Well, uh, Ron Colley Catholic High School in Indianapolis is in the news again. A social worker from the school named Kelly Fisher says she was fired for supporting Shelley Fitzgerald and Lynn Starkey. Uh, those were her colleagues who had been fired for their same-sex marriage. Kelly Fisher posted two statements of support for her colleagues on social media and was then brought in and questioned about her support for the church's teachings on sexuality by the administration. Uh, she was then placed on perform- a performance plan, otherwise known as a PIP, uh, at my work, and her contract was then terminated at the end of the year. She has now filed a discrimination complaint against the archdiocese over her firing. Wow, uh, these Roncalli folks are going to start running out of employees to fire soon. I guess it's unsurprising that the state that made Mike Pence just can't give this issue up. They really love going after queer issues, whether it's uh, trans bathrooms or gay Catholic employees. It's crazy. Um, I mean, but my goodness, like the archdiocese of Indianapolis, they just keep wanting to fight about this issue so now it's coming out that they fired somebody else i guess this is where we are in parts of the country like it's not enough that queer catholics are fired because they have the audacity just to fall in love but also like if you even express your own conscience and saying that you feel that that was a wrong decision to make like you'll get fired too by catholic institutions I mean, imagine that you're a student at this Catholic school right now. So you've watched this whole thing play out over the past couple of years. And one day you meet some gay folks a little little further on down the line and you realize that like they're not all evil and they're not subverting the church or the social order of society. Like, can you imagine that the damage that this is going to do to their relationship to the Catholic church once they kind of realize all of that, that this isn't some end all be all issue like, I know the culture wars at the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. They're going to say, like, oh, it was totally <laughs> the culture that, like, made these folks leave the church or or lose kind of faith or anything like that. But, like, they need to really look in the mirror right now and say, like, how am I affecting, like, these students? How am I affecting their ability to see um, the human dignity of the people that work for the school, let alone all of the other students who are queer there who are, I'm sure, scared and very frustrated over how members of this community are being treated in Indianapolis. I mean, the Archdiocese should do a poll with the students if it was allowed or if that wasn't too too crazy of an idea. That would be fascinating. The, I mean, honestly, like we've talked about before in previous podcasts, the 
younger adults in churches and Christian churches in America are flocking out and just abandoning their faith. And that this is a major issue for them. Exactly. I, I don't know. I'm tired. Tired with the tea. I mean, doesn't this diocese have anything else to worry about other than lesbian teachers who are in a committed relationship and straight allies who support them? Um, I just read an article about a chaplain who was at that specific high school who is now being convicted or being charged with three felony accounts of sexual abuse of a minor. Right. Like, isn't that something that's a little more grave and more... uh, important than someone in the same sex relationship yeah definitely and and you don't see them making a huge stink about that uh and and sending out press releases and just doing this all this culture war stuff that they've got going on right now yeah get your priorities straight so do you remember that priest on twitter who you tweeted at and he was talking and making a big stink about yoga and catholicism yeah definitely (laughs) wasn't he from indianapolis as well uh that i don't remember oh well it seems like it what? I think he was actually. <laughs> What's in the water out there? Yeah, I don't know. Um, honestly, I just I feel incredibly bad for the students at this high school. Like I, I for sure feel bad for these teachers who have lost their jobs. But there's a lot of queer students who are at this high school right now who I know feel just incredibly unsupported, and they need to do better, a lot better. Um, I remember a few years ago, several years ago, um, I lived by Sammamish High School, um, or it was Eastside Catholic. It is Eastside Catholic. And a gay teacher was fired for being gay and mm. in, in a relationship, and I, I think he was married. Um, the students walked out continuously. I think a majority of the students walked out. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that is a sign of the times for the church to be looking at. Yeah, definitely. I hope that they they take a look at where their actual students are at and and what they want. All right, well, Tom Ransweiler wrote this week about the rise of LGBTQ-friendly retirement homes in cities around the U.S. There are an estimated 1 million queer Catholic adults in the U.S. who are 65 years or older. And at least half of seniors surveyed have reported facing discrimination when searching for housing. Suze Atlas, a resident at the Philadelphia Affordable Housing Apartment Complex for LGBTQ seniors, said, This place affords me the chance to be human. I don't have to hide. I can be myself a badass butch. Suze, come on. Come through. Um, Suze, that's <laughs> such a cool name. <laughs> a good I don't name. know why that. I like Suze. Means, yeah, Suze. That's um, so much better than Susan. Susan, yeah. Lazy Susan. <laughs> what, what is that? Uh, this actually reminds me of a Nancy podcast. Uh, it's titled The Golden Queers. Yeah, that was a good episode. Yeah. Golden Queers. Golden Queers. Um, well, they talk about many of those from the Stonewall generation who are preparing or are in that age of retirement um, and kind of how difficult it is for them financially, emotionally, and just overall. Uh, being queer and growing up in a an era where there were no rights for them. Yeah, so you tack on all the emotional and financial, financial and familial and everything, responsibilities and burdens that are going on just with going old, and then you tack on being queer on top of all. Yeah, of that. and just it serves for a lonely experience when yeah. you should be really 
thriving thriving and and being able to just enjoy the, exactly. the those uh, you know last years of your life basically yeah. i i can't imagine how tough it is because i imagine most queers in that in that generation flocked to big metro areas um new york san francisco you know seattle what have you um and now these areas are way too expensive to be living in. Right. Even for us millennials, like we had to move away from we Seattle because it was too Seattle. expensive. Right. So I can't imagine if you were just like an, a queer in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and it was affordable or manageable back then, you don't have any family now, you don't have someone to help take care of you, no kids, how what are you doing like one of those cities becoming a a true definition of home for you exactly and then all of a sudden to have the rug kind of pulled out from under you just because you're now growing older yeah i, I think aging and kind of the phenomenon that comes with uh growing old is really uh, interesting to me hmm. it's it's tough a lot of people don't like to talk about it but I can't imagine how much tougher it is for queer folk trying to just settle in and enjoy their lives at the latter half of their their life. Yeah. Um, honestly, like you, I think about what it would be like for a queer person to be in a retirement home where there's predominantly people who have been married, people who have kids, people who are finding love again in the retirement home. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, and just what it would be like. And, I mean, those people typically are a little more conservative. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, or feel like it would be like high school all over again. Yeah, exactly. Trying to fit in and just feeling like the other. And, I mean, I know a lot of older people that really just don't give a fuck and they're just like, oh, whatever, life, life it is what it is. Whatever makes you happy, do it. But there are I, a lot of them out there who are still staunchly conservative and don't understand how the world is now. Yeah, and a lot of folks who, just because they're older, doesn't mean they stop caring about the relationships that they have with the folks that they're living with and they're around and, and trying to just find in and have some sense of community still. You know, the article mentioned how LGBTQ seniors are less likely to have a partner or a child as a caregiver. And like that fact... it it broke my heart. I guess it also makes sense given the age range that we're talking about. Like, yeah, this is the Stonewall generation that is looking for a place to retire and grow old. And so many of them, like they lost everything, especially family when they, they came out. And so they have a very different set of life circumstances when it comes to finding a, a place that they can be safe and taken care of, uh, to, to grow old. Um, like, I'm so grateful that I have you and that I hate oh. this idea that so many folks who, like, were on the front lines fighting for the rights that we enjoy and that make our relationship, like, legal and possible, that have no real community to turn to now as they, they grow old. Like, that churns my stomach. And I, I, I did a quick search online, and even Austin, where we live, the Austin LGBT Coalition on Aging, has a bunch of resources for seniors in our area, as well as some volunteer opportunities. Like Meals on Wheels actually just opened um, this month, a LGBTQ senior center recently here in Austin. And so I think I'm going to reach out to them and I encourage any of our listeners to 
do a quick search and see if there's anything like that going on in in their area that maybe you can volunteer at or that you can go spend some time with folks who maybe they found a a safer space to go and spend time and and maybe even live but they need community and they need folks and they god knows they've got good stories and advice for all of us so i'd I'd love to go spend some time there yeah that's awesome um saint james and i'm sorry to always bring up saint james cathedral in seattle they had a ministry or they actually might still have it it's a ministry for those um usually older um and suffering with hiv you would just help bring groceries, do some chores around the house, um, just do a lot of things and just hang out with them. Right. I, I think that's really important, especially for people who feel lonely and, you know, de- detached from communities. Right. Um, and honestly, like, I have a, hand, a handful of friends that were, that are older and experienced the, the Stonewall age yep. or you remember it from being a, ch- a kid and honestly they the stories that they tell me it's it's really sad to have to hear stories of them going out to a bar um and just be ignored and it's not like and i understand some bars especially gay bars people go out to be seen and people go out to look for their next catch whatever i don't care but this like bars for them were a place of community right to hang Definitely. out with friends you know kiki whatever and now it's not that for them anymore so i feel like we as the younger generations of the queer community we should do our part to to help not help that that sounds really patronizing to i don't know to include the older generations in what's going on with our lives yeah yeah and to to learn from them and to make sure that they know just how appreciated that they are. We appreciate you, old queens. (laughs) All right, well, on Sunday, Pope Francis brought the Synod on the Amazon to a close. We are going to do a special episode next week just on the recommendations the participants of the Synod gave to Pope Francis in the final working document, and we are going to have a special guest with us to help us understand some of the headlines that you've probably been seeing in the news, like the bishops recommending married priests and women deacons. Like, is that something that actually might happen? So we're going to go into a lot of those recommendations and and try and figure out just what it means for the church. But today we want to touch on something Pope Francis said in his homily at the Mass closing out the Synod, reminding everyone that the church's mission is first to the poor. He said, How many times, even in the church, had the voices of the poor not been heard and perhaps scoffed at or silenced because they are inconvenient? Let us pray for the grace to be able to listen to the cry of the poor. This is the cry of hope of the church. The cry of the poor is the church's cry of hope. When we make their cry our own, we can be certain our prayer, too, will reach to the clouds. Again, I am a Pope Francis fanboy. And this is a perfect example. When I've seen homeless people attend Mass, it's always, to me, a really moving thing. There's two parts to it. They're so devout that it makes me feel the holy spirit yeah but then also it shows an ugly side of the church as well because i see families and individuals uh willingly and methodically move away and try to avoid contact with the homeless people especially during you know uh sign of the peace or when you're greeting their neighbor before the mass right um so it it's it's an eye-opening experience but the poor really are teachers to us 
um, just, I mean, this past weekend when we, you and I were in New York, um, we had three cups of coffee uh, on accident. Um, so we decided to give the extra one to someone homeless on the street. And right. the first thing that the guy asked you was, well, what are you going to drink? Yep. That was his like, first instinct. Without, was- without pause, he didn't think about himself. He thought about you and what you were going to drink. Like, what the, like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's 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 mind blowing how consistently generous uh, mm-hmm. the poor are, especially the homeless who yeah. have a real sense of of community mm-hmm. and how quickly, if you're open to it, like it'll just it man, it'll sting your conscience and, yeah. and let you know. Like I remember, uh, I used to live in Honduras for a couple of years, and then we would go to mass at the cathedral in San Pedro Sula sometime, and there was a person who was kind of known for begging in the cathedral who had a lot of um kind of facial deformities mm-hmm. and and it was it was tough honestly to look at like there were open wounds and it was it was a lot to be in the middle of mass and then all of a sudden have this pro- person approach you on the aisle and as much as it was hard to see it was even harder to see the way everyone at mass would start to move away mm-hmm. from the aisles when yeah. they saw this person coming just like it was just this total indictment of the the church in that moment and i know that it's hard to have somebody interrupt a an experience that you're having in the middle right in the middle of mass mm-hmm. to have someone come up and beg from you but it also like it was so clear like oh like there's jesus like exactly. right there <laughs> yeah. jesus is walking down the aisle and we're all moving away from the aisle to try and get away and it was a, just a perfect encapsulation of why it is so hard to actually see Jesus when he's right in front of you. I think honestly, Pope Francis words, like they bring me so much joy to hear just a Pope speak like this. Like so much of what the church is known for these days is either scandal or hot button cultural issues, like what's going on in Indianapolis. But the church's work is in liberating the oppressed. It's in bringing hope to the hopeless. It's in helping people encounter the divine and just being with the poor, like listening to them and making their struggles and pains and desires our own. And so hearing Pope Francis place the church back on that track of saying, this is what matters most when it comes to the the church is incredibly powerful to me. Like there are folks out there who are trying to dictate the future of the church kind of from these like big corporate style retreats and these big media campaigns and they're just missing so much of what the church is about and what the church is for. Like having Pope Francis just trying to refocus our energy, our time, our prayer, even activism on the needs of the poor in the Amazon region. I I just I really hope that the church and the world kind of listens and steps up. And I hope that I have the courage to listen and step up because it was a wonderful reminder to me of what it means to be a Catholic. Amen. AMDG. <laughs> All right, Pat. So what are we toasting this week? All right. Well, I am toasting 
women theologians and women religious commentators who are trying to evangelize and help the world understand Jesus in the church, especially in the thankless waters of Twitter and other social media arenas. Like, it is outrageous the way they're often treated online, but I am so inspired and so grateful for their witness and all that they've taught me, and I just, I beg of them, please don't leave online spaces and, like, abandon me to the theologian bros out there because that's just a horrendous thought. Like, I need them in my life. Bros ruin it for everybody. Bros definitely ruin it for everybody. Um, I'm going to join you on that. All right, good. On that toast. Um, I'm seeing a lot of the the back and forth going on in Catholic Twitter. Yeah. And it's it's the women theologians that are there just like good head on their shoulders. You're right. Right, right, right. And it's the dudes, the, the, the trad bros that are online raging out and like praising these two guys that threw the Pachamama, those yeah. wooden figurines. Not the Pachamama. Not the Pachamama. Don't, don't fall, don't fall for their trap sorry, and call sorry, it the Pachamama. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The, um, the wooden figurines that were thrown in the, the river. And then recovered, though. Did yeah, and then recovered. recovered. I mean, okay, that made me happy. <laughs> Honestly, ugh, I'm tired. But the women theologians giving us some fun. Yeah, they are giving me life here. So cheers to, cheers to them. All right, y'all, that's it for us. Be sure and tune in next week for that special guest we'll have on to discuss the details of the Synod on the Amazon. You can support the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash vineandfigco. Thanks for listening, y'all. Bye. Bye.